<clears throat> Thanks, Andrew. Good morning. So I, I, uh, when, I, when uh, Andrew asked if I'd speak uh, um, about Rahab, I was quite delighted, actually. I've always felt been speaking about a prostitute in church. Quite, quite exciting for me. But um, it's, uh, in a sense, this isn't really about Rahab's occupation. It's maybe a, a sense of the type of character she was, but we'll explore it a bit more. So the title of the talk today is about facing our fears. It's in, in a passage in Hebrews which is all about faith, but this bit is about facing our fears. So fear is defined in the dictionary as being frightened or worried by something dangerous or bad that is happening or might happen. It's also an unpleasant emotion caused by the threat of danger, pain or harm. Or a feeling of anxiety cornering, uh, concerning the outcome of something or the safety of something. A quick recap on the story of um, Rahab, because I don't think we can really understand what um, the writer of Hebrews is, is getting at, unless you really understand the story of um, Jericho. For many of the, you, this will be familiar, but I'm just making a brief recap. So the Israelites were emerging from the desert, 40 years of wandering. But they had had great stories of deliverance during those times and very historic victories. The land in which Jericho was situated had been fought for and was currently under the king of Jericho. We don't know his name. It's not recorded in the Bible. Jericho was a walled city, a citadel, which effectively boasted of its wealth and esteem. They were confident about their status. And yet, at this time, rumours were flying about about the God of the wandering people. Rahab states in her discussion with the spies that the people were filled with fear. Andrew read, melting with fear. They'd heard of impossible victories, of proud, cruel, defiant warrior kings and their armies devastated by a group of wandering people. Joshua, the leader of the Israelites, sent the spies into the land to check it out. The spies entered the city via Rahab's house. A curious choice, unless Rahab's house was the obvious place for strangers to stay or visit. She is named as a prostitute in the Bible, and presumably there were many visitors to her house. She's not really the most obvious choice. Curious. Rahab recognises them as being from this wandering group. She sees an opportunity and she takes a risk to hide them. And she lies to the king's men about where they went next. They share an oath together. The red cord is the symbol of this oath. Whoever was in the house would be saved as long as she kept her side of it. The spies disappear and Rahab would not have known if they'd gotten back safely. No text messaging in those times. Then the Israelites approached Jericho and set up camp outside of the city, but within walking distance. So the people of Jericho could see the Israelites. And they watched. In fact, they shut their city. They watched as every day the Israelites walked around the walls of Jericho. Now, they must have been far enough away the arrows couldn't reach 
those people. So they were circling quite a distance around the city. And they did it every day silently for six days. And on the seventh day, they just kept walking around and around and around. And they did that seven times. And then they stopped and they shouted and they trumpeted. And people will know that the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. This was completely unforeseen for the people of Jericho because they were safe in their walled city. This was a citadel. It was prepared for siege. They had supplies. They didn't expect the walls to collapse. And they were suddenly very vulnerable. In fact, the Israelites were easily able to come in and take over the city. Um, and they raised it. I, I imagine that Rahab in her town, in her house, keeping her family in her house, listening to hurls of insults from the warriors who must most likely were on the walls of the city watching the people as they circled. Um, I can imagine them hurling all sorts of abuse and, um, you know, saying, what do you think you're going to do? You're never going to take the city. They were pretty confident in the walls of their city. However, those warriors, the people on the walls, are most likely the ones who were the first casualties of the battle because it collapsed around them. Interesting again that one part of the whole city of the walls didn't collapse, which is actually quite surprising if you think about it. It was the one place where Rahab had hung her red cord or a red rope in the window and the house didn't fall. Joshua sent spies in to safely retrieve Rahab and her family and he brought them out safe. Okay, as a doctor, which is what I do, I see many people who present to see me with anxiety um, or fear, as might be defined by the dictionaries. There are many physical symptoms attributed to anxiety and to be honest, our knowledge of managing anxiety as a disease is in its infancy. But everybody knows about fear and its physical effects. We can all understand a wave of fear or anxiety as an individual and as a community. And fear breeds fear. Today as we study Rahab in the passage in Joshua, it reveals that she was afraid no different to anyone else in Jericho at the time. But Rahab took a great risk, one which required faith. So what is so significant about her faith? Because there are lots of women and other characters in the Bible. Why does the writer of the Hebrews mention her? She was, after all, a prostitute and she was a liar. She lied to protect the spies. We actually can't really tell a huge amount about her life apart from the fact that she lived in the city walls, which were obviously fairly thick because Jericho was a fortress. She is identified as a prostitute or harlot, but she must have known a lot about what was going on in the city. I think she had influence because the king's men came to see her to ask about the spies. I suppose a part of me thinks that Rahab was opportunistic. She might even have been shrewd in her nature. And she saw an opportunity and she took it. You could say she gambled on the spies. She may 
equally have been a very different character who had no choice in her occupation. She might have been very young and she may have had very little influence. She may have lied because she had compassion on the spies. The Bible states that she recognised Yahweh as a powerful God and she held these men to an oath. My personal feeling is that Rahab was astute and opportunistic at this point and she kept her options open. Her response was to gamble and control. She took calculated risks. If the spies had been caught and tortured, for example, why would they not name Rahab as their escape assistant? But something happened to Rahab in the waiting. Just do this. So fear and response, and then waiting. In facing her fear, watching the soldiers march around the city each morning silently, watching as they kept marching on the seventh day, all she had was a symbol of an oath, the red rope, which she'd made with two spies, briefly encountered. She had no knowledge that they'd survived their mission, and she certainly didn't know if they would keep it. Rahab perhaps had to face that fear, that she couldn't get out of this situation as easily as she thought she might have been able to do. The Israelites had not sent a negotiating party to speak to the king. I think that Rahab expected that and she would be in a good position to speak to the negotiating party. She would have a chance to be able to redeem herself that way because most likely if she was in a position of influence, she would have entertained envoys uh, from neighbouring kingdoms or been involved with the negotiation. Her plans were coming unstuck. I wonder if Rahab experienced God just like us when our earthly plans and perspectives begin to unravel and we find we have to exercise faith in a promise. This produced a change, a transformation in Rahab. She had to trust the spies would not forget. She had to trust in the promise they had made and she had to trust the God who had claimed them as his people. Rahab was very vulnerable. But what was the response? The outcome that she saw immediately was that her, she and her family were not only saved, they were brought to a place of safety. And they were honoured in that new community. But something Rahab wasn't aware of, which is the legacy uh, that uh, the red letter of the Hebrews mentions. Um, the writer of Hebrews actually highlights it. Rahab and Sarah, the only women mentioned in the passage in Hebrews. Sarah, everybody knows about. In the, the, um, the writer of the Hebrews would have, to the people he was speaking to, would have known exactly who Sarah was. She was a matriarch. She was the wife of Abraham, mother of Isaac. And all the Jews know 
who Abraham and Sarah are. But Rahab is not so obvious in the least. She was the mother, but she was the mother of Boaz. And Boaz is known as the Kingsman Redeemer. It's a beautiful image of the Redeemer to come. So if you don't know the story of Ruth and Boaz, I would really urge you to read it. It's fantastic. The fact that Boaz's mother was very different culturally and that this would have had an influence on him is not lost on me. Boaz's mother had to be somebody different because it affected the type of man he was. And he was a very special saviour. He saved Ruth, not just financially, but he saved her on many different levels. And that's why it's that lovely image, the kinsman redeemer, the image of what Jesus does for us. And further on, Ruth and Boaz's line eventually produce, uh, it's mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. You see, God's timing isn't like ours. He He sees things in different ways. He brings together those who fulfill his purpose. So, what about our fears? As individuals? As a church? How do we respond to those fears? So, Rahab made a plan. God provided a way out and she recognised that, at least on one level, the oath. And God has given us problem-solving minds and skills, maybe not on how to evade city destruction, but he does give us abilities which can help us cope in difficult situations. However, for many of us, when we see a problem, we are so busy finding the solution that we forget to involve God in the decision. What happened in the waiting for Rahab? She had to face her fears. She did have a plan and she recognised that the spies represented something big, something frightening. And she took hold of her opportunity. But in those seven days when the city was full of fear, Rahab might well have looked at the brief encounter and wondered if she could really trust those men. She would have been aware that battlegrounds are dangerous places Collateral damage is a high probability. She had to face the fear that despite her plans, she and her family were still desperately vulnerable. And I wonder if Rahab actually encountered God in those days, enabling her to trust in that promise. Have you had a time when you were fearful or uncertain? Have you sought a solution in response? Has there been a time of waiting which you couldn't influence or change, a time when your plans appeared ineffective or untrustworthy? Have you turned to God, trusting in his promises to you, trusting without a safety net? Has that yielded a result which is so much more than you could ever have conceived? Have you had a moment of awe You see, Rahab was especially sought out in the midst of battle. Joshua sent soldiers to bring her and her whole family to a place of safety. Not only that she and her family were were given a fresh start, 
and Rahab didn't need to bargain anymore. Her position was secured by the red rope of her salvation. What I find even more incredible about the story of Rahab was that she was Boaz's mother. Not that she could have a son, but that uh, her son would go on to demonstrate incredible generosity and mercy. And there's more, more still. She would never have um, known or foreseen that the union between Ruth and Boaz would go on to produce um, Jesus in that line. And what kind of a legacy was that? So what about us? Often we are gifted by seeing an amazing result when we trust God, no matter how fearful or uncertain we might be. But few of us get to see the legacy of that that trust uh, in a promise. We are so bound by time that we forget God is not. Does it change perspective for you to think of the generations that will follow? Do you think big for God? I've got a picture here of somebody who you might have heard of. Susanna Wesley. She was born in January 1669. She was the 25th child. Um, And many of you will know about her because she was the mother of John and Charles Wesley. She never preached a sermon. She never published a book. She never founded a church, and yet her life and legacy still speak. She had 19 children, and John and Charles were part of that. Susanna herself experienced many hardships in her life. Her husband was jailed due to poor financial decisions. He left her for a period of time, leaving her with the children, 19 of them, um, Their home was burned down twice, and yet Susanna continued to teach her children the ways of the Lord. And the outcome, everybody or most people will know, is um, the Methodist movement that was um, began by uh, the Wesley brothers. Um, So what about our church? How does the story of Rahab help us in this time? We have uncertainty at present about our pastor. We've responded with an amazing advert. We are now in a time of waiting. Some of us may be facing a degree of uncertainty about what happens next. I know it's not quite the same as life and death, as it was for Rahab, but it has some similarities. What will happen to our church? How will a new pastor change the church? And for most of us, fear comes in at this sense of not belonging. So we might be asking, what if I don't fit in anymore? In this situation, we have to trust that God will keep his promises, that the result will be even better than we expected, that the legacy could be incredible. And just to inspire you a little bit more, there's another person here or Bethany Hamilton, who's much younger than me. Um, Bethany 
came, grew up in a Christian home and she was a, she was, it was a Christian, but she was a very good surfer and she was uh, sadly attacked by a shark, um, which um, resulted in her nearly dying, but and then having to amputate her arm. She was only 13 at the time. So at 13, she nearly died. And then when she did recover, uh, she was unable to surf because of balance issues. And Bethany had, you know, in, in lots of ways, her life changed dramatically at that time. Um, but Bethany believed in Jesus, and she trusted Jesus. And that had a profound effect, not just upon her recovery, but in what she went on to do. She went on to reclaim um, her status as a surfer. She had to uh, learn how to balance in a different way. But her legacy isn't so much that she was able to regain her surfing ability. Her legacy is that she spoke to many young people all over the world that having something so disastrous happen, happen to you, but believing and trusting in Jesus was a huge inspiration for her. And her legacy is that she's inspired many young people who might have disability or who might have fears about their future, fears and uncertainties and anxieties. And she speaks very openly and plainly about facing those fears, going back out into the water, getting up on the board, being prepared to be vulnerable but being involved in glorifying God by her testimony. So that's my challenge. Um, I really enjoyed preparing for it. I really hope that um, there are some things there that will help you think about.